MSW Media. News was Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for May 22nd, 2020. Today, a panel is assigned in Flynn's appeal to remove Sullivan from the case and force a response to the motion to dismiss. Dem lawmakers are now investigating the removal of the Department of Transportation Inspector General. Ratcliffe is confirmed as director of the National Intelligence. Pompeo hosts fancy dinners and bills taxpayers for it. Turns out Flynn's name was never masked in the Kislyak call report. The Supreme Court grants Trump's stay in the Mueller grand jury material case. A pro-Russian Ukrainian lawyer released Biden phone call audio. And a new study shows that 36,000 lives could have been saved had Trump not delayed mitigation strategies in coronavirus. I'm your host, AG, and with me today is Jordan Coburn. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well. Uh, very well. My bed frame came today. So that is truly a bedroom game changer. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes. You can put your Helix mattress on it. That thing is so comfortable. <laughs> That's exactly what I've done. I've done that already. And it's a lifted platform bed frame so I could put all my shit that was just cluttering the space under the bed. And it's the best. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Very, very good. Very cool. How are you? I'm well. I'm I'm well. Thanks for asking. Uh, d- you know, doing good. I'm l- looking forward to, uh, if you're listening to this on Friday, I'm looking forward to our uh, quarantine happy hour uh, live event thing that we do every Friday at four uh, Pacific time. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm very excited. That should be fun. What did we decide on a theme yet? No, we haven't picked a theme yet. Perfect. Just making sure I didn't miss something. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, ah, just drinks. Just <laughs> Yeah. I know. I need to use this freaking blue carousel shit that I bought for that one yeah. Hawaiian theme week. And now <laughs> or tiki. And now I have just this giant thing of blue crap. <laughs> blue carousel. Yeah. Mm. Maybe we can just have, I don't know, just blue cocktails or something just for that to so you can use that. Yeah, I'm just making shit blue. But then everyone would have to go out and get some curacao and then everyone would have the same problem. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a blue man group party just for this bottle. Okay, what's that? Everyone has to paint their whole bodies blue and no one can talk. You have to communicate with your eyeballs and all the drinks <laughs> will be blue. <laughs> No one can talk. It's my favorite kind of party. No, no talking. Everyone's just going to be staring blankly at each other and communicating through Morse code on PVC pipe. <laughs> Somebody accidentally picks up a broom and they're like, this isn't stomp, motherfuckers. Put that broom away. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh. mm. All right. Well, we do have a jam-packed show today. Uh, so, hey, why don't we just hit the hot notes? Hot notes. All right, Jordan, what do you have for us today? What are our updates? Well, there are a few updates that I have coming out of the COVID world here. Um, My first update is coming to us from changes to the CDC's website. Uh, Basically, what they have changed on their website, they took out the language that, or they, they refined the language about the virus spreading from person via person to person via a surface basically 
Um, they said that the virus primarily spreads person to person through those droplets that come out of your mouth when you cough or you sneeze, and that's within that six-foot distance. Uh, they say they've always been saying that that was the main way that it spread and that this isn't some crazy huge departure from, you know, what they're now saying, because obviously... I already have seen it on Facebook. There's people up in arms like, oh, see, I was the crazy one not trusting them. They're walking back their shit. So I think CDC anticipated that those people would be saying exactly that in that exact voice. And they are saying in that exact voice. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they're saying just remember, we have always said that the main issue was human to human transmission. But yeah, now it's being refined on their website uh, to not really include that surface transmission or the transmission via contaminated pets also. So, ah, uh. yes. Uh, CDC spokeswoman Kristen Nordland said that the revisions were the product of an internal review and usability testing. And like I said, yeah, they, they, re- they reiterated, our transmission language has not changed. COVID-19 spreads mainly through close contact from person to person. So, there we go. Um, Yes, next up, HHS, Health and Human Services, they said today that they're going to provide up to $1.2 billion to AstraZeneca. They're a drug company that's developing a potential COVID-19 vaccine, and they're working out of a laboratory at Oxford. And so, this deal is the largest, apparently, deal of this kind when it comes to vaccine research that the department has disclosed and said that they've made. Money's going to pay for a clinical trial of that vaccine in the U.S. this summer with apparently about 30,000 volunteers. So that's a that's a decent chunk of people, and it's coming up right around the corner. HHS said that AstraZeneca are collaborating to make available at least 300 million doses, and they projected the first doses are going to be available as early as October. So that's going to be... That's so. This is so interesting to me because now my brain is thinking, what are people going to say when it comes time to distributing distributing it to the mass public? How many people are going to say, I don't trust that shit. I'm not getting it. There's going to be a huge amount of people that say that. And what do you do in that scenario? You know? Mm, yeah. Um, hope for the best, just like we do with the flu. Um, right. And, and and regular vaccines. I mean, you know, ba- because of the anti-vaxxing, anti-vaxxer movement, we've had uh, like outbreaks of measles and whooping cough that we haven't seen in decades because yeah. we had pretty much nearly eradicated those issues uh, because vaccines work. And I mean, I'll, I'll be taking a vaccine that that's what's going to help me feel comfortable to go out into a public space. Yeah, I, I wonder, I think a lot of people feel that way that's definitely on my mind is arming ourselves basically as a population as much as we can and the prospect of a bunch of people just not doing it you know it kind of like when we think about the concept of herd immunity and herd immunity only working if there's some super high threshold of everyone that's been infected and recovered I feel very similarly about the effectiveness of of a vaccine which is that you know most of the population has to have had it for it to really do its job i would assume 
Yeah, that, you're correct. That and um, I mean, we have to see what the you know what the efficacy is and how the how the vaccine op- actually operates. Based, but if it's like a if it is like a an, like a regular normal vaccine or the kind of vaccines that we've seen, that is correct with the herd immunity thing. And we have to remember that there are people who are going to be allergic to this vaccine. There are going to be people who are immunocompromised who can't take it, and they are the ones that people who don't get vaccinated are putting at risk uh, the most because. If you're not vaccinated, you could be a carrier. And those are generally the same people who feel that they're too tough to wear masks. So, you know, you, you for the way I see it is I wear the mask to protect you and I get a vaccine to protect me. But you also get a vaccine to protect the vulnerable among us. Right. Especially if you're, you know, whatever, younger, healthier, just don't experience the sort of elevated risk comorbidity traits, I guess. And and then yeah, that, that whole part of the population is going to be hard to get on board in some groups and certain uh, political groups, I'm thinking, because of exactly, yeah, I guess what I was saying. I already see it on Facebook and shit, people just being like, I hate to reference Facebook as a legitimate metric of how people act, but I, that is kind of its purpose at this point in time, really. But among with, among with, along with looking at all our data and selling it off for profit constantly but i do see yeah (laughs) that's just a side gig i i do think that i see people that are already saying shit like you think i'm gonna put a vaccine in my body that they've rushed to get out to market and hasn't gone through the right trials and stuff and and they i mean you could say that argument for like especially as a non-doctor you could say that about every vaccine really and say it's not up to your non-doctor standards about whether or not it's safe to put in your body but yeah it's it's just gonna be it's gonna be fucking very interesting to see how this all goes down but ultimately hopefully that means yeah the only time-saving measures here though are the bureaucracy steps that are being cut out not the efficacy and and not the testing not the scientific testing part of it that's a great great point that's what's making it come out faster than most vaccines is that they're 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 pulling out the the bureaucratic steps and red tape that that uh, that's involved not the actual testing um and of of the of the vaccine so that's important and of course we know that since trump has politicized covid uh, 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 you know, Republicans against Democrats, people who wear masks and socially distance against people who do not. Uh, that is going to make it a lot harder for us to vaccinate m- most of the country as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And um, onto some economy headlines. Apparently, last week, another 2.4 million people filed for unemployment, and that brings the total to 38.6 million in nine weeks. So that's staggering. And what's extra shitty is that there's a lot of concern right now that many of those jobs are jobs that are never coming back. So labor departments, you know, they found a large majority of laid off workers are saying they expect their payment to come back eventually, their job to come back eventually. But now there's a bunch of experts saying that they think it's pretty grim Nicholas Bloom, he's a economist at Stanford. He said, I hate to say it, but this is going to take longer and look grimmer than we thought. Um, he estimates 42% of the layoffs are going to result in permanent job loss. And I think this is correct, just from the people I'm talking to that are either furloughed yeah. or 
just kind of in the know with what their company is doing, they're talking about these complete layoffs of like 30% at least of the entire workforce staff, even in the midst of people and things reopening. Like I was talking to yeah. um, someone that works in craft beer. They work for Carl Strauss and they were explaining, they work in sales like with their you know corporate office. And basically they were saying, normally, you know, you would just think, okay, well, you just have to wait till the bars open. But then you think about all the places that straight up aren't even going to exist anymore. Some of them are huge accounts, like massive accounts that haven't been able to come back like casinos, even though casinos are starting to open. But it's just, it completely changes the market basically for anyone in any job that interacts with any kind of market, which is like every job. So yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary. It is. And you also have to think about even these, like you said, the restaurants, a lot of these restaurants are not reopening. Uh, the ones that do are only operating at 25%, 30% max capacity, meaning their sales are going to be deficient by 70%, which means that probably 70% of their workforce isn't going to be able to get their job back, it, like in those in those particular, in you know, at least in the bar mm-hmm. and the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to be that way for a while. And it sucks. And, you know, I was having an argument with a friend of ours uh, about it, He, you know, who wanted to go back to work at the restaurant. And I'm like, look, nobody's going to go to your restaurant right now um open up if you you know if you want but like do you think you're just going to start tomorrow making the same money that you made before this all happened there's just no way and and right it's 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 terrible and the government should be shoring us up and and helping us you know bridge the gap between then and now you know between that now and and that time when we can do this but it's what else can you do right now? And and it, and it sucks that that a lot of these um, worker workers are are having to make the choice of putting food on the table and paying their bills and 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 risking their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention just from like you know this is obviously so different based on what sort of socioeconomic class someone is in, but there's a lot of people, you know, in upper just in general, I guess the issue I'm thinking of is essentially if they're furloughed at a job right now, they're making a calculation in their head. Is it worth it for me to bail on this really good job that had amazing benefits and I loved it and you know I felt very self-actualized in it? Do I bail on that job right now because I don't know if it's going to come back? They're saying it's going to come back, but who really knows? Or do I stick it out and suffer financially like pretty hard relatively? Again, it's all relative for where everyone's at, but you know, or or do I cut my losses and just start looking for work elsewhere? There's such a huge group of people that are in such a precarious position like that, and it's really scary, and they have to make these gambles, essentially, because there's no confidence that they're going to be okay if they make whichever decision, because like you said, the government isn't shoring up people in, in just companies and or small businesses like they need to and then there's obviously the groups of people that literally have no choice and the resources just aren't enough that are there and they have to grind it out at whatever jobs are available regardless of if they're safe or self-actualizing and so it's it's gonna be yeah it is just such a nightmare I was talking to my mom about it yesterday with how screwed people are gonna be for how long and yeah we have Trump saying shit like what do you? What did he say? Something. Basically, everything's going to go back to normal and it'll all be fine, very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. He also said today. He also said today that he, um, 
well, first of all, he visited Ford in Michigan in Ypsilanti and he refused to wear a mask. And then he said the reason he didn't is because to spite the press. And and then uh, <laughs> so all the executives wore masks. Yeah. And, and of course, the the. The officials, the Michigan state officials are like that. You, you broke the law and now they don't want to welcome him back. <laughs> they um, and of course, the, un- <laughs> the, un- the United Auto Workers Union uh, endorsed Joe Biden today, just an hour, like right around the time uh, Trump showed up at the <laughs> at the Ford plant. He <laughs> he. And um, so that I'm sure put him in a bad mood. And then, of course, uh, upon that he said while there that if there's a second wave of coronavirus in the fall he's not going to shut the country back down meaning he's going to do the thing he wanted to do in the first place was just let it wash over everyone um which will kill a million people yeah i really don't want to see what that looks like and i hope that we don't have to see that but if it does happen i agree he's gonna he's gonna run on it is my prediction it is 100 percent what he will be running on in like the last month before the election is keeping the country open. Yeah. Yeah. No matter no matter what. That's his that's that's it. He he's 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 hanging his star on there there'll be enough people who hate masks and love guns and and don't want to stay at home that they'll vote for him. Yeah. Yeah, it really sucks. It really sucks really bad too that I feel like since be- this has become so politicized, Democrats are pigeonholed into this sort of vibe of like never wanting to reopen or something. And then Republicans are also pigeonholed into like always wanting to reopen. And once again, they're both positioned in a way that leaves no room for nuance or collaborative discussion like Cuomo was trying to achieve with his whole task force approach and stuff. and Or at least that's what it seemed like. Um, and it's just a... It's a huge bummer. It's turning into a thing it does not need to turn into. The last thing we need is for this to be politicized, but obviously it was going to be all along. And here we are. That's And that sucks that, that we've politicized science. Yeah, it sucks really, really bad. And I'm not even like necessarily, I guess, trying to put the blame on anybody. I just think that's obviously what's going to happen with how combative the two parties are just inherently against each other and this issue matters a lot too that's another part of it it is something that i believe people feel incredibly passionately about as well but the whole fighting thing that they just cannot not do with one another because they believe so many they different can't things not do it. yeah they like yeah it's just <laughs> it just sucks because ultimately um it would have been so nice to watch our country provide an example for itself on how to effectively work together and like put aside differences. Granted, when I conceive of this, I mostly think of the Republicans needing to do that, and that shows my unbias <laughs> and is one of the reasons why that'll never happen in America. It's because of people That's thinking truly like that. me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. no, but Jordan, you're right. Like, I mean, Look, I understand where Republicans are coming from. That, that you know, that you don't want to have to wear a mask. You don't want to have to not go get your hair cut. You want to be able to go to the salon, or you want to be yeah. able to live your life normally, like you always have been. That was the American dream that you built for yourself was right. to live that life, and it's not, and it's not that way. And and, and I feel really bad. Like we all aren't don't get to do that now, and mm-hmm. and it, it sucks. And I understand, but like. Also, people will die. A lot of people will die, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I, I 
did this report. I'm going to do this, talk about this a little bit later in the show that, you know, New York Times, uh, some folks at Columbia University did modeling that showed had we locked down in this country just one week earlier, we could have saved 36,000 lives. Mm -hmm. Two weeks earlier would have saved 54,000 lives. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, these are people. These are people. These are mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and, and partners and and it's just these are human stories and we aren't hearing enough about them. I don't feel like we're I don't feel like we've grieved yet for all all these lives lost. I don't feel like we've had our in memoriam moment. Um, and I think it's because the president doesn't give a shit. Yeah, I just saw that he's ordering the flags at half mast to you know remember the people that have died. And it's so sad that when I read that, my first reaction was, wow, that's surprising. That seems like a pretty like democrat thing to do like like it like i could see people losing respect for him by doing that which is so insane i'm glad he's doing it too yeah me too but like i got this somebody tweeted the people who think kids wearing bulletproof backpacks to schools with metal detectors and armed guards and are subjected to active shooter drills is just the price of freedom and the people who call having to wear a mask for 10 minutes inside walmart tyranny are the exact same people <laughs> yeah right exactly so that's just where we are everything is so uber politicized because of this president mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's all i got for my a block today all right well thank you for for that update and i will talk to you again uh friday 4 p.m that would be later today if you're listening now but <laughs> yes. for us it's tomorrow afternoon yep uh, for our quarantine meet and greet, Q&A, hangout session jams of extravaganza. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. It's so fun. <laughs> it's so, Every week. It is really fun. Mm -hmm. um, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, thank you, you again for those updates. Everybody, we'll be right back after this with some uh, headlines that flew under the radar. Stay around. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey everybody, it's AG and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. It looks like they're gradually opening the country back up, but whether or not it's currently safe to do so is highly debatable. But if you're like me and you're looking to reduce unnecessary trips out and you're trying to avoid crowded grocery stores, I recommend trying Sunbasket. It's a perfect and tasty solution for the times that we're living in because Sunbasket delivers healthy, delicious meals straight to your door. They have amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, which is me, ding, 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 gluten-free, Mediterranean, vegetarian, and more. And they make it easy and convenient with everything everything is pre-portioned and ready to prep to cook and you can enjoy dinner uh, a delicious healthy dinner full, full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes which I love because I'm so pressed for time uh, and it also works for no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen which is great for me because I'm not very good at cooking but each week Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from and you can try um, dishes like their black bean tostadas or their hoisin steak strips and in lettuce cups or roasted salmon with miso glazed eggplant they have so many amazing choices and you can order from any recipes across their menu you skip a week if you need to double up on your favorite ones if you want it's simple and easy no hidden fees everything's transparent there's no gotchas and Sunbasket facilities have the highest levels of food and employee safety and they're reinforcing strict adherence to their existing standard operating procedures and they're also increasing sanitization frequency in their distribution centers to protect you and your family and their workers and right now Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order when you go right now to sunbasket.com slash daily beans and enter promo code daily beans at checkout that's sunbasket.com 
com slash daily beans and use promo code daily beans at checkout for $35 off your order. Sunbasket.com slash daily beans with promo code daily beans. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Uh, it is time for some under the radar headlines. First, uh, we had reported last week that the inspector general for the Department of Transportation was removed uh, and, and they were removed the same night Trump fired the State Department inspector general Linick, though the Department of Transportation uh, inspector general being replaced went widely underreported. But now Democratic lawmakers on the Hill uh, as if they were listening to the Daily Beans, are now investigating the removal of the Inspector General from the Department of Transportation. Uh, as we know, Elaine Chow heads the Department of Transportation, and that's Mitch McConnell's wife. And she's come under a lot of scrutiny uh, in the last you know, year or two for playing favorites with Kentucky. And also, uh, they were questioning some of her contract awards and a grant program uh, at the Department of Transportation to people connected to her husband's states in, in Kentucky and her husband's state and, you know, in Kentucky and her family as well, family businesses. And so Dems want to know why the inspector general was fired. They want all the communications about it. They want to know if Elaine Chow had made the recommendation, because as we know, with Linick at the State Department, the inspector general there, it was Pompeo who was being investigated for multiple things, including having uh, one of the um, staffers walk walk his dog, uh, and you know, but also um, he was being investigated for trying to do an end run around Congress uh, by uh, creating an emergency declaration out of thin air that required us to send eight billion dollars of arms to Saudi Arabia, which I'm sure was a payment for something uh, from Trump, some sort of quid pro quo. Um, so there, you know, that's what the inspector general at the State Department was looking into. And that's when Pompeo uh, recommended that Trump fire that inspector general. And he admitted it to the public. As, but he said that they had in no way had anything to do with uh, him being investigated. And of course, Trump maintains he has every right uh, under Article uh, whatever. He doesn't know what article. But he's, you know, his Article 2, uh, that he can fire anybody he wants uh, for any reason. But that's not exactly true with inspectors general. I'll talk a little bit about uh, this with Andrew Torres later on in the show. But you do have to provide reasons um, to Congress when you want to get rid of an inspector general, at least that's the norm. Uh, but we know, we know what norms mean to this president. So that's what's happening there. Um, so we'll keep an eye on that investigation as well as into the others, all the other, the, you know, four most recent inspectors general that have been ousted, including Atkinson, Grimm uh, from HHS, Fine from the Department of Defense, who was overlooking the stimulus payouts. And of course, um, Linick from the State Department. Um, and as predicted, Supreme Court has granted the stay in the Mueller grand jury materials case. Talked a little bit about this yesterday. But they gave a short window uh, for the parties to respond instead of the normal 150 days. We discussed that with Andrew Torres yesterday. But I just wanted to reiterate that this in no way reflects how the court will rule. None of these <clears throat> cases for Trump have gotten a ruling from the Supreme Court yet. So this is going to be you know, one of the first big ones uh, of the of the big five we've been following. And we'll see what happens. We'll see if they decide to hear it on the merits. They haven't decided to hear the case yet either. Generally, though, I think that they wouldn't grant a stay if they weren't at least planning on weighing it um, on the merits. But we will find out um, hopefully before the election. But we'll see uh, because, you know, they're asking for this pretty, pretty quick timeline. 
although this case was filed July of last year by Jerry Nadler in the House Judiciary Committee, um, which kicked off the impeachment inquiry. Um, not, a, you know, it didn't get announced until September, but th- this was filed under the auspices of Article One impeachment powers. Um, but yeah, they could have left that timeline in the default 150 days, but they've asked for a fast turnaround. So we'll see what the court decides about the merits of which there are none in this case. So, uh, and more court news here. The appellate court panel for the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals has been assigned in the uh, Flynn Sidney Powell writ of mandamus motion filed filed by that team uh, to basically order the appellate court to order Judge Sullivan to dismiss the Flynn case. Um, Both parties just have 10 days to respond. Uh, And like I said, I'm going to talk a little bit uh, about this with Andrew Torres and why not to worry. Um, This is very unusual, though. This really never happens because normally they ask for the prosecutors to respond. But right now, the prosecutors are not prosecuting for the people. They're prosecuting for Trump. And uh, the Senate has confirmed John Ratcliffe as the director of national intelligence, despite his nomination having been pulled previously for misrepresenting his intelligence experience. He lied on his resume. So the DNI is the single most important position in securing our elections, according to Mueller, which he said during his testimony last year. It was during it was in the same breath where he said Russia is interfering in our elections as we sit here. And the single most important thing that we can do to protect ourselves against that is to have a strong communication, uh, line of communication between the intelligence agencies. And that job description uh, lies with the Office of Director of National Intelligence uh, and the Director of National Intelligence himself, who right now is acting and is Rick Grinnell and has zero intelligence experience. Um, But Ratcliffe made it. Um, seven senators did not vote. The, the, the vote was 49 to 44. So it's five point five senators, um, that, you know, five point swing there, but seven senators didn't vote. And those senators are Lamar Alexander, Richard Burr, Markey, Murkowski, Murray, Rounds, and Bernie Sanders. So, and I'm still worried about Bernie. He hasn't voted in some very important votes and he hasn't said why he hasn't. I, I, I really am hoping he's okay. Um, because I know that, um, you know, they just recently passed a thing in the House where they can vote remotely, but I don't think that's the case in the Senate. We will see, though. Uh, I just, seven senators didn't vote. Uh, that blows my mind. Um, and this, by the way, is the most opposing votes any candidate or nominee, I should say, for the uh, Director of National Intelligence has received in the 15-year history of the position. And this is fun. A Ukrainian lawmaker that has close ties to Russia and appeared on Rudy Giuliani's podcast, met with Giuliani last December, has released phone calls, well, parts of edited parts of phone calls of Biden and Poroshenko from several years ago when Poroshenko was the president of Ukraine. The audio, like I said, is edited. It's an edited fragment of a phone call, and it's it's nothing new. Um, It's shed no light on Biden's actions in Ukraine. Uh, they, you can hear Biden, as he said publicly, uh, linking loan guarantees to Ukraine to the ouster of their prosecutor general in 2015. That prosecutor general was actually, you know, letting Burisma off the hook. So it makes no sense. Um, and, you know, of course, we know Biden had the backing of the entire Western world uh, in the ouster of this prosecutor general. 
The uh, Ukrainian lawmaker is named um, Andriy Durkach, and he's an independent member of Ukraine's parliament. He has passed links to Russian intelligence, having attended the Jerzinkli Higher School of the KGB in Moscow. His father served as an actual KGB officer for decades before becoming the head of independent Ukraine's intelligence services in the late 90s. But he was fired from that post amid a scandal over a Ukrainian journalist who was kidnapped and murdered. So these heavily edited tapes reveal nothing new. They have landed like a Jacob Wool press conference with Jackman sitting right next to you with his fly down. It's pretty sad. And uh, from the New York Times, if the United States had begun imposing social distancing measures one week earlier than it did, about 36,000 fewer people would have died in the coronavirus outbreak, and that's according to new estimates from Columbia University disease modelers. And if the country had begun locking down cities and limiting social contact on March 1st, two weeks earlier than most people started staying home, the vast majority of the nation's death, about 83%, would have been avoided. Under that scenario, about 54,000 fewer people would have died by early May. The enormous cost of waiting to take action reflects the unforgiving dynamics of the outbreak that swept through American cities. Even small differences in timing, just a week, would have prevented the worst exponential growth, which by April had subsumed New York, New Orleans, and other major cities. Um, Jeffrey Shaman, an epidemiologist at Columbia and the leader of the research team, said it's a big, big difference. That small moment in time, catching it in that growth phase, is incredibly critical in reducing the number of deaths. And these findings are based on infectious disease modeling that gauges how reduced contact between people starting in mid-March slowed transmission of the virus. Dr. Shaman's team modeled what would have happened if those same changes had taken place just one and two weeks earlier and the estimated... Uh, and and estimated the spread of infections and deaths until just May 3rd. So the results show that if states reopen, outbreaks can easily get out of control unless officials closely monitor infections and immediately clamp down on flare-ups. But we have such shit testing in this country because our federal government can't get their shit together. That's going to be hard to do. And these models show that each day that officials waited to impose restrictions in early March came at a very great cost. Because after Italy and South Korea had started aggressively responding to the virus, Trump resisted canceling campaign rallies, and he didn't tell people to stay at home or avoid crowds. The risk of the virus to most Americans was very low, he told everyone. And that led to that many more deaths. So it's pretty devastating. Uh, We'll be right back after this quick break. Stick around. We have a legal discussion with Andrew Torres from the Opening Arguments podcast right after this. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. If you've been listening to this show for a while, you've probably heard me talk about Helix Mattresses and what an amazing game changer it is. You've heard Jordan talk about it, uh, Joelle and Mandy. We all have one. I'm getting the best sleep of my life, the most comfortable mattress I've ever owned. It's uh, really, really incredible. And exciting news, Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They just launched a new company called All Form, and they're making premium, comfortable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. So what makes an all-form sofa awesome? Well, for starters, it's the easiest way you can customize your sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores for customizing your sofa. You pick the fabric. Um, it's, you know, and it's spill, stain, and scratch resistant, by the way. You pick the color. You pick the color of the legs, the sofa size, the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They have armchairs and love seats, all the way up to eight-seat sectionals. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and build onto it later if you want. 
Um, your all-form sofa can grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, it could take weeks or even months to arrive, and you would need someone to come and assemble it in your home. But all-form just takes three to seven days to arrive in the mail. You can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. Uh, I got the all-form three-seater sofa in whiskey leather with chaise lounge and walnut leg finish. It is gorgeous. Uh, it's my mid-mod look. It's really fancy and roomy and so very comfortable. It makes the living room like a, I feel like an adult. <laughs> like I'm in an episode of Mad Men. I love it. I can't wait for this dang virus to go away so I can invite people over to sit on it. But anyway, if getting a sofa without trying it in the store sounds a little risky, you don't need to worry. A hundred days you get to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. 20% off at allform.com slash dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Earlier today, I got to speak with Andrew Torres for their podcast, Opening Arguments. And here's an excerpt from that interview. And we are joined by A.G. of Muller, she wrote. Hey, thank you. How are you? Well, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we'll say fine for the sake of getting on the show with the show. We'll just say we're all fine. Except Andrew's fantastic. Oh, uh, uh, naturally. So, uh, A.G., uh, we could have you on to to talk about everything uh, or anything. Uh, you you know the three of us were just talking offline. A continuation from Friday's episode about uh, the uh, the the petition for rid of mandamus in the uh, Michael Flynn case. But I I really wanted to bring you in to to talk about two things from a boots on the ground kind of factual perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about Obamagate and I wanted to talk about inspectors general. Um, any, any play you want to want to start with one or the other or what, uh, what strikes your fancy? Um, either or. Um... Well, here, let me, let me ask a question then, AG. Sure. Is Obamagate an actual thing or is it whatever we want it to be? No, you know, it... like, is it for, does each person get to pick their personal Obamagate? That it is, and then Trump just says, "You know what it is? It's Obamagate." And then, it, within our hearts, we each have an Obamagate that we know and love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, whether it's the tan suit or the mustard or uh, FISA warrants. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's a specific thing, uh, but it, it it was delivered in a way to where the language could make it interpreted as any number of things. Uh, And I think that that's because this administration does the thing where they throw a bunch of shit against the wall and see what they can find. If they don't have anything, they're hoping to find something, uh, either in the piles of classified information at uh, Department of Justice, which, as we know, Bill Barr has the keys to declassify anything as given the authority by Trump. Uh, So they're just sort of saying, you know, Obamagate. And then they're, you know, waiting until... Uh, between now and the election when something might pop up for them to use and then put it in that category. Now, my understanding, though, is it's specifically about um, Obama uh, and and his administration and Obama administration officials uh, framing uh, Michael Flynn uh, and uh, misconduct within the intelligence community to to do so. And, you know, I mean, Trump was on this from the very beginning, uh, you know, saying Obama wiretapped his campaign. And so that's, I think, sort of the the 
the broader umbrella of what Obamagate means. Uh, but again, like you said, we can all have our own personal Obamagates. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, what evidence do they think they have, right? I, I, like, I, I, I want to, it's not that I want to steel man a Trump conspiracy theory, but like, honestly, I don't even understand what the argument conceptually is supposed to be other than right like the people who are saying it are people for whom you know saying obama is like you know invoking the demon pazuzu right like it's just the word is enough but like what what, like what are they what are they looking at that they think is their like kernel of truth well now it's going to be difficult for you and i to discuss this because it's like much like the flat earth argument at some at a certain point it completely strains credulity and falls apart um, but the gist is, is that there was a list of communications um, that uh, Republicans thought came from the NSA intercepts of phone calls with Kislyak uh, and that the Obama administration ran to the NSA and said, we need you to unmask this redacted name of whoever talked to Kislyak. Uh, and that's a very common normal thing because, you know, names are in these intercepts are usually anonymized um, for ease of, of reading and, and passing around. And then you would go as an official, you would go to the intelligence agency uh, that intercepted this communication and you would ask them to unmask or lift the redaction bars or, or de-anonymize the name of the person that is of interest. However, <laughs> and I don't know if you saw this Washington Post report that came out, I think it was last night, sometime yesterday. Uh, as it turns out, this was not the NSA that intercepted the the Kislyak-Flynn call. It was the FBI, and they did so under the auspices of a FISA warrant against Ambassador Kislyak, and Flynn's name was not anonymized. There was no unmasking needed with regards to the Kislyak calls. There were multiple other uh, anonymized things and, and they're harping on Joe Biden asking for a reveal of, uh, of a Flynn communication on uh, January 12th, but it was not the Kislyak call. And so no other charges had been filed. Uh, and so those apparent unmaskings led to nothing and therefore are really not of any consequence whatsoever. So with this new reporting out, Obamagate takes another hit. Well, that, that doesn't feel like we steal man that. <laughs> um, let, let's, but, but, but so the, the kernel of the argument, I mean, I, I still, I'm, I'm not sure that I even understand, like, <laughs> suppose the facts were as they say, right? Suppose it was the NSA had intercepted the communication that Flynn was anonymized and then DOJ went, uh, and said, Hey, um, uh, we're we're super curious who this person is. Tell us who it is. Uh, that seems like ordinary process of criminal investigation to me. Am I am I missing something? Nope. And that is where the the flat Earth argument falls apart. Uh, you can only get take this argument so far because when you ask yourself, so what? Yeah. <laughs> The answer is, you know, so what? And and he still lied to the FBI. It was material. He pleaded guilty to it twice, told two different judges that he that he fucked up. And and so here we are, uh, you know, hitting that brick wall of the argument where I am not able to explain to you uh, with the brain that I have in my head why any of that matters. And 
It's just it makes no sense. Uh, They're just harping on the fact that Biden and Obama, uh, which, by the way, this story dropped three years ago. Uh, They've had three years Um, at Ratcliffe, actually, who was just confirmed DNI by the Senate um, by five votes. Five people didn't vote. Uh, That's that's someone who's competent to be our director of national intelligence. Yeah, we have, dare I say, maybe a step up from Rick Grinnell, but I don't know. Um, uh, So now, you know, we have him a long long time ago who leaked the Kislyak phone call from the FBI to the Washington Post. And, and you know, he's saying that is a felony. We need to look into that. Okay, fine. Um, But it's still (laughs) that now they're just harping on the leak, not you know, I mean, I've said it a million times. Who, who's to blame? The the that that I looked in my husband's phone, or that I found out he was fucking my sister. Um, it, <laughs> and 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 let's. I mean, I I want now. I want to sort of go back because I I feel like this portion of the argument um, gets lost. The reason for this investigation, uh, in my view, tell me tell me if you disagree, um, is that. Donald Trump was not president until January 20th, right, of, of, of 2017. He does not get to run the government just because he got elected. Obama is still running the government in November, December, and the first three weeks of January. And the Obama, the outgoing Obama administration had placed sanctions on Russia. And here you have folks who are not the government communicating official potential government positions to a hostile foreign power. Like, those are crimes. Those should be crimes. You should care about them regardless of your political affiliation. Like, if you want to change, like, I'm not a huge fan of the lame duck session, right? Like, you know, we're all that, that I'd love to have it such that, you know, we do like the British kind of a, you know, caretaker government on the transition and, you know, get those people out of there. Like, I'm I'm all for that. But we don't have that system. Hmm. We have a system in which the president of the United States, Barack Obama, was being undermined by the guy who, quote, won the election uh, and in, in ways that plainly seemed to be criminal to me. And I'm just trying to make sure that I'm not stuck in my liberal bubble here. But um, doesn't sound like you can help pop that for me. <laughs> well, I mean, there is the Logan Act, which is the law specifically set up to to prevent people who are not agents of the federal government to act as such. Um, they didn't pursue charges in this. There's emails saying from the Department of Justice saying we're not going to go after the Logan Act. But we have to also remember, coupled with this at the same time, he had accepted a $40,000 speaking fee um, and sat next to Vladimir Putin during dinner. Uh, the FBI had a, a, a reasonable predicate for opening an investigation because four of, of Trump's top aides in his campaign had serious ties to Russia. And that's Papadopoulos, Manafort, Carter Page and Flynn. And so it it makes no sense for somebody to see that there was a call with Kislyak about shitting all over my sanctions and not wanting to go see who he spoke to. And then be it being Flynn, not then warning Trump with your own mouth about it and having Sally Yates come over hair on fire to the White House and be like, you have got to do something about this. Michael Flynn is compromised. Yeah. And and and. I love that you make the point there. I'm now I'm now outside of Steel Man. I've given up. Uh, I, I I love that you've made the point that uh, Flynn 
could have been charged under the Logan Act. It is fair to say that that Logan Act prosecutions are incredibly rare, right? That's that's that is fair to say. But I, I think I was as flabbergasted as you were that the 48A motion to dismiss was predicated only on the statements that were the subject of the plea deal and not everything to which Flynn could have been charged, which includes the Logan Act, which include FARA Act violations, right? He was uh, he lied on his uh, uh, FARA disclosures, uh, failed to disclose his uh, connections with Turkey, right? Like, And this is not, I mean, it's not common for it to be uh, a presidential transition team member, but it, it is it, it is beyond common to plea out a criminal defendant to charges that are less than what could have been brought. I mean, that that literally happens thousands of times a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, the, the Department of Justice argued in the Flynn case that, you know, um, the content of the phone calls was irrelevant. Yep. And so it's they're going against their own prosecution here. And so it's just it's going to be really interesting to see with, you know, the um, the amicus briefs and Judge Gleason. And and now, of course, uh, we had just talked about you and I right before uh, we started recording about the the panel assigned to uh, in the D.C. Court of Circuit Court of Appeals to to weigh the writ of mandamus that Flynn filed to have Judge Sullivan removed from the case. So what what were those uh, judges again? Tell us about those judges. Yeah. So this is uh, an incredibly, well, it used to be an incredibly rare uh, procedure. It's Trump has used it, uh, I think, more than every president in history combined, um, seeking a writ of mandamus. Uh, that is um, asking the court, asking one court to tell somebody to do something, right? Like that's what the mandamus part of it is. Um, it, it's it's an extraordinary remedy. Uh, they filed yesterday. It's an original proceeding in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Today, the panel was assigned uh, and a scheduling order was issued. So let's talk about the, the two components of that that, that are important. Um, the first is the panel, um, Henderson, Wilkins, and Rao. Um, Naomi Rao, we know, we've talked about at great length, uh, Trump hack. Uh, Karen Henderson is uh, 76 years old. Uh, she is a uh, George uh, W. Uh, George H.W. Bush, Poppy Bush uh, appointee um, and, you know, moderate Republican. Um, I was going to say, so a commie by today's <laughs> yeah. definition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. commie bastard. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Robert Wilkins, uh, Obama appointee. So, I mean, uh, about, and, and I, I was actually um, down the rabbit hole reading uh, some research from, from Mark Levy, who's, who's written two law review articles that basically say um, panel assignments at the circuit court level uh, are not random. Even oh, though... I was going to ask that. I was like, oh, yeah. wow, the, the sorting hat really gave us a good draw there. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I don't, I don't want to go too far down uh, because his law review articles are really, really interesting. I would, I would recommend them, uh, you know, to, to folks to read. I will get um, right on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do that. Uh, but, uh, but basically what he did was a statistical analysis and he was like, yeah, um, nowhere do courts promise 
that they're random, right? Everybody thinks they're random. Mm. Um, they, they don't promise like full randomization, you know, to statistically valid uh, uh, samples and on various dimensions, including partisan uh, partisanship, um, they, they, they don't appear to be random. Um, and then he conducted uh, private off the record interviews with like dozens. This was a second law review article with set with dozens of uh, sitting and former circuit court judges who said things like, well, yeah, like y- you, you draw it out of a hat, but like, you know, in most circuits, it's the chief judge uh, and, and her clerk who does the assignments. And judges would, would say things. And like the, the longer you'd been on the court, the more you could do things like, man, don't don't give me more than one case in June because I'm going to Aspen. Right. And, and you know, and stuff like that. Um, so uh, a a semi how about how about we say it this way? A semi random. Uh, oh, but process. you don't think it's like specifically tailored partisanship wise it's just more scheduling wise it it is what i will say and and this is as far as as levy goes right um levy argues that um there is a systematic bias in uh left-leaning circuits to keep republicans off of panels um Mm. i i don't think uh and i would critique that argument in a number of ways that we can't get into here um but but I do think that there is sufficient prima facie evidence to say um, that something more than just like throw, you know, rolling three 15 sided dice and taking those three numbers goes goes on. Um, so in any event, uh, we have as unimpeachable a panel as you can imagine. Right. Two two Republicans. What? But, you know, one one moderate Republican, uh, one Democrat, one lunatic. Um, and, <laughs> uh, and, um, you know, as, as we said on the show, uh, on Friday, um, it, it, this is, it, if, if anything happens other than, uh, the, the, the DC circuit saying, well, that's nonsense. Um, I, I would be surprised. Um, in addition to the actual, to assigning the panel, um, the other thing that came down literally right as we started recording this um, is a scheduling order that says uh, on the court's own motion within 10 days of the date of this order. So uh, that is on or before the, the 31st. That's a Sunday. So, again, this is all everything is going to come to a head on June 1st. Right. That's when the uh, cert petition is due. Um uh, 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 so you know, lots of stuff is are, is coming is is coming to a head uh, on June first. Um, but uh, the uh, it is ordered that the district judge file a response addressing petitioner's request that this court order the district judge to grant the government's motion to dismiss filed under Rule Forty Eight A. Judge Sullivan. I know you're listening. Uh, we we huh? talked about this at some length on Friday's episode. Uh, this is not going to be a hard response to write. <laughs> um, they they cite the one case uh, that um, uh, 
that DOJ cites, which is a case called United States versus uh, Foker Services BV, um, which is manifestly uh, distinguishable on the merits. Um, it's totally clear that even if you think that's right, uh, that uh, that mandamus is inappropriate in this case. So I'm optimistic that this mandamus is going nowhere. But, you know, I've, I've been optimistic about other stuff before. So. All right, everybody, the host of Opening Arguments podcast, Andrew Torres, thank you very much. And after the break, we will have the good news and the quarantine confessions. So stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this Helping of Daily Beans is brought to you by Beachbody On Demand. I know most of us are still hunkered down at home, uh, planted on the couch. It's been really easy for me to get complacent, but I like to stay active. It's important, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. We have to keep moving. And I have a great recommendation for you, something I use that enables me to work out and even take classes in the comfort of my own home, and that's Beachbody On Demand. Beachbody On Demand is the easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to over 1,300 super effective workouts suited for any body at any time at any fitness level. Beachbody On Demand is the best streaming workout platform. Uh, they're the company behind P90X. Remember, 21-day fix and insanity and all that. Uh, check out some of their newest programs. They have Morning Meltdown 100 on there now, an 80-day obsession, which is so much fun. Uh, I start my day with 80-day obsession. Been doing it for a while now. I feel stronger uh, and more accomplished before I even have my first cup of coffee, which is just its a really good way to start the day. And you'll get motivated by celebrity super trainers and have access to hundreds of effective workouts for all fitness levels with weight training, cardio, yoga, and dance workouts, too. They have mindfulness and meditation, and you can exercise on your schedule. Some of these workouts are as short as 10 minutes and don't require any extra equipment. So in the time it takes you to drive to the park or drive to the gym and park, uh, which you can't do anyhow right now, you could be finished working out. All easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Access it anywhere, anytime on any computer, tablet, or smartphone. It is the best deal in fitness, and listeners of The Daily Beans can try it absolutely free. I want you to check out Beachbody. Uh, so right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. You'll get full access to the entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information, and support, totally free. Again, just text Daily Beans, all one word, to 303030. Hey, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news block is Amanda Reeder. How are you, Amanda? I'm doing well. Good. It's, uh, it's, a, be- it's a beautiful day today, man. Ugh. It's really nice. Are you there with Pod Dog? How's Pod Dog? Pod Dog as well. Um, although I was cleaning the bathroom earlier, and I do this so rarely, which is embarrassing to admit. I clean the bathroom so rarely that when I do it, he thinks it's time for his bath, so he freaks out. So um, I had to comfort him because he was shaking and crying because I I scrubbed the tub so few times he doesn't know what that looked like. That looks like so. That's that's a little embarrassing, but hey. <laughs> Hey, it got done. You know, yeah, that's what matters. Exactly. <laughs> Part of the good news block. You scrubbed your tub. Good job. I did. I did scrub my tub. <laughs> um, I have a little bit of good news um, before we get into our listener submitted good news stories and quarantine confessions. A new Quinnipiac poll just came out. Uh, I know people, I, I get this all the time when I share polls. They're like, I'm, I'll believe it when I see it. But, um, you know, polls exist and we report on them. And this one shows mm-hmm. Biden now has an 11 point lead nationally for the general election. He's leading Trump 50 to 39. Um, <sighs> yeah, that's big. It puts Biden up a point from April and Trump is down two. And in that same poll, Biden leans among black voters 81% to three. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. 
uh, and there is a 3% margin of error on that. So it could be zero. Um, but uh, in other election news, too, Amy Klobuchar uh, is being vetted for vice president, mm-hmm. though I imagine she'll be one of a few candidates. So this in no way means she will be the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everyone's speculating about it uh, on on social media. I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because Trump is not an option, no matter who the VP pick is. I have my favorites, but it's nothing is a deal breaker mm-hmm. in this election for me. So. You know, it's funny. Uh, for me, obviously, like the idea of an Amy Klobuchar VP is not the most thrilling. But on the flip side, um, you shared this morning, um, AG on Facebook, and I was reading about it, that uh, Biden named AOC to lead his climate task force. That feels like a huge, that feels like a huge, huge signal to progressives that he's going to take that seriously. And that gives me a lot of hope and um, a lot of positive feelings. Yeah, same. Me too. It really sort of puts forth the idea of the big tent party Mm -hmm. and that we need all progressives and moderates and conservative Democrats Mm -hmm. at the table. Exactly. um, Because, you know, we're just fighting against this one small faction of the Republican Party, which is the the Trump base. And and they're just insane. And and we can't have that. So totally. I am glad. I am glad that he picked uh, Klobuchar and John Kerry, or not yeah. Klobuchar, uh, AOC and John Kerry to, yeah. to head up the the climate task force. You know, she is the architect of the Green New Deal. John mm-hmm. Kerry was the architect of the Paris Climate Accord. Mm-hmm. So right there, you've got just so much incredible experience and so many amazing ideas. And I think he's really, really open to bringing the progressives into into the party. So I'm I'm... I'm like you. I'm hopeful with that with that news as well. Yeah, and it it wasn't just um, AOC, but it was also uh, the co-founder of the Sunrise Movement, which is a huge youth climate organization. So that is a huge unity task force for me, and I'm I'm really happy about that. That's great news. Yeah, and and I'm and I know his he's putting together a COVID task force he has already, and I'm hoping that as he continues to put together these task forces, mm-hmm. uh, that he continues to just build this like megatron of all different walks of the Democratic Party, and 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 you know just make it so everybody is represented. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think if everybody feels represented in one way or another, that's the way we move forward. Not everyone's going to be happy all the time, but comp- but you can have both inclusivity and compromise existing in the same space, I think. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's, that's great news. And just the fact that there will be a woman VP uh, is, is rad. So uh, shall we jump into some other good news? Yes, please. Okay, so this is a little bit of uh, a longer one to kick it off. Uh, rather than doing a bunch of short good news today, there's a there's a few longer ones. So uh, this is from Megan, and this was a really beautiful email. So thank you for sharing. Megan said, um, as someone who's been fighting a decades-long battle with depression, I found that one of the best ways to keep from sinking too deep is to have an animal companion in my life. Cats, dogs, birds, rodents, and fish were always a part of my family when I was a kid, and I loved them all. As an adult, ideally, I would still have a a house full. But since being diagnosed with muscular dystrophy 13 years ago, my financial situation and physical ability has limited me to one cat at a time. I've lived alone for most of those 13 years, so the bond that develops between me and my one cat is very profound. When my beloved feline friend Smokey died a few years ago, not only was I emotionally devastated, but I was left with over $4,000 in vet bills. 
As much as I wanted to adopt another kitty ASAP, I knew it would be financially irresponsible to do so until the debt was paid off. So I started fostering. As a foster, the rescue would take care of financial costs and I'd provide the loving and stable, albeit temporary, home. I fostered the same way I adopted, one cat at a time. That time ranged anywhere from two weeks to a little over three years. It's worked out great. My loneliness has been saved. The cats I fostered were kept off the streets and out of shelters, and a bunch of families and individuals ended up with some wonderful new companions. The only downside was saying goodbye each time, which got more and more difficult. The good news is I'm recently debt-free, and with nothing else holding me back, I signed the papers today, and I'm now the official pet parent of Cora, a little two-year-old tabby. I enjoyed my time fostering, and I definitely encourage others to do it if they're able. Heck, once Cora gets settled, I may even resume fostering if she'll let me. Either way, I'm taking comfort in knowing that I won't have to say goodbye to my new friend for many years. Aw, congratulations. Yeah, that's so nice. Hmm. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, Okay, the next one is from uh, someone who calls themselves the Data Diva. The Data Diva said, I want to speak to the teenage lesbian from a few days ago on Quarantine Confessions. I think it was her mom who wrote in, actually. Um who wants to volunteer on a campaign. I've worked on campaigns for 16 years, some in volunteer management and some in data. Consistently, my best political volunteers have been 16 and 17-year-olds, closely followed by 14 and 15-year-olds. I regularly tell people uh, new to campaigns to get themselves some teenage interns. I know it's frustrating that you can't vote, but you can tell every voter you come in contact with, I need this candidate elected to protect my rights, but I can't vote. I need you to vote in my place. You can do that a dozen times a day and have a far greater effect on the election than if you were able to vote, actually. Practice the puppy dog eyes if you think that would work for you. You can be a massive asset to a campaign. I once had a candidate win by a single vote. Um... And neither would have won if not for my four teenagers who came in regularly uh, to make calls and knock on doors. Wow. That's what a great point, you know, to be able to affect multiple votes as opposed to just your own. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, what a great perspective that is. Yeah. Um, This next one is from is from someone who works for NASA, actually. Very cool. Oh, Nice. Um, This is from Rich at NASA, and he says, At NASA, we sent out internship offers in December and January. COVID put us in lockdown in March, placing all internships in jeopardy as everyone was working from home. It would not be safe for interns to travel from all over the country and in the world in the current situation. We had to scramble to figure out how to modify internships and make them conducive to work from home. Having figured that out, NASA HQ threw us for a loop a few weeks ago and stated that no intern was going to be able to access export-controlled information. This would preclude interns from doing any work on designing or operating spacecraft. Talk about an emotional roller coaster. However, NASA HQ has just temporarily modified their access policy for interns, and we are now able to host, albeit remotely, interns and have them work on our mission. So the Mars 2020 mobility mobility team is hosting two interns this summer. Our interns now make the mobility team 36% minority and 64% female. Such a ratio is pretty rare in engineering and even more in aerospace. Times are changing. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Hell yeah. All right. That's the last of the good news. Are we ready for quarantine confessions? Yes, lay them on me. It's my favorite part of the show. Woohoo! All right, uh, this is a good one. This is from Megan. Megan says, Confession time. On May 14th, my office's remote system crashed hard, so I had to go into the office to get caught up on work on the, fif- uh, on the 15th. 
because I went in earlier than normal, there was no one else in the office. So I have my May 15th Daily Beans episode playing on my phone and not using headphones. During the quarantine confession segment, you ladies tell the tale of a person who hadn't showered in two months. And Jordan yelled out, wait, doesn't your butt smell? My butt smells after 24 hours. Uh, unbeknownst to me the senior partner and office manager were standing behind me and heard it all senior partner what are you listening to me sheepish grin plugs in headphones yeah jordan making senior partners uncomfortable oh god that's so funny that's so funny. Oh, um, <laughs> Doesn't your butt smell? Oh, God, right? <laughs> I mean, I think that if you left us playing in a public space at any time, you run the risk of Jordan talking about butts. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, you run the risk of Jordan talking about butts. <laughs> I mean, Jordan talks about butt so much that we get emails from listeners which are like, I really appreciate your openness about poop. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> oh God. Um, all right. This next one is from Jody. Jody says, I have been buying all of the junky cereals I never let myself eat, um, such as Lucky Charms and Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Okay. Same. Didn't didn't Joelle just have some cinnamon toast crunch and, and make a post about it? I think I've read that somewhere. Yeah, it was my idea. I I don't know what happened, but something about quarantine, I think being in all the time and wanting to feel comforted. I've turned to junk food I really have not eaten since I was a kid. I I've I've wanted like Oreos and Lucky Charms and like shit that I haven't eaten genuinely since high school. And um it's like weirdly comforting. So I feel you. Uh <laughs> Jody said, um, but to prevent the kids from eating it, I opened the package and put the bag in my box of Cheerios. <laughs> uh, I eat earlier than everyone else in the house, so no one really notices, but at least I don't have to deal with them eating my cereal. It's <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of uh, hiding of food in, uh, in large families. <laughs> yeah, that is happening quite a bit. Uh, all right. This is the final uh, confession for today. It's a little bit of a long one. This is from Anonymous, and he says, So, I live in South Carolina, and during COVID, we never really had a solid quarantine per se. Our order was to stay at home unless you needed something essential or had an essential job to go to. My job is in the essential category, even though it really isn't. I work in aviation, and it's not like anyone's flying right now. Eventually, our parts supply started to become a problem, so we temporarily shut down operations for at least two weeks. All right, so now on to the confession. I'm 49 years old. And in those 49 years, I have never tried marijuana. Not once. I had the opportunity many times, but never felt the urge. I started in aviation in my mid-20s, and random drug tests kept me from trying it. With more and more states legalizing weed, the thought of giving it a try became more appealing. But given my work, I knew I could never try it. It's just not worth risking my livelihood to satisfy a curiosity. My wife, however, smokes regularly, and for a while, when we got her new stuff, they threw in um, a 30-milligram Jolly Rancher edible. She tried one and didn't like the taste, so they've just kind of been accumulating. <laughs> last year, last year our area was shut down for a hurricane, and during that time off work, I decided to try one of the Jolly Ranchers. The taste was not that good, and more disappointing, I didn't feel a thing from taking it. Fast forward to COVID and my involuntary vacation. I decide that I'm going to give the Jolly Ranchers one more try. With my wife as my co-pilot this time, I'm going all out. 
it's just afternoon and I decide to give I decide it's time to give this another try. I eat three of the jollies at one time. <laughs> Jesus. Oh no. <laughs> now if you're paying attention, that's 90 milligrams of THC at once for a person that has never been high before. <laughs> oh Jesus. An hour later, I'm not feeling anything at all. I'm thinking that these jollies are just crap. 30 minutes later, the THC makes its grand arrival. Now, drinking is my usual jam. I know that feeling quite well, but this was on another level. Now I get why people like weed. This was such a mellow, happy feeling. I didn't get couch locked or anything like that. I didn't have cosmic epiphanies about the meaning of life or anything like that. My wife, however, was quite amused with the reaction, her being the pro in this. um the last thing this is this is cute the best thing i remember is interacting with my daughter please don't judge i was being supervised the entire time our daughter is three and a half she is at the age where she talks a mile a minute but it's hard to figure out what she's trying to say i swear that i understood what she was saying when i was stoned i gained like jedi level mind tricks with her As anyone who has dealt with a three-year-old, getting them to do something is almost impossible. It goes on to say, all in all, I've had a very good experience. I'm now about four hours in on my adventure, and there's no signs of it stopping soon. Oh, he wrote this to us while he was high. He was like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm now about four hours in on my adventure, and there's no signs of it stopping soon. So he was like, you know what? I'm so stoned right now. I got to email AG, the Daily Beans, and tell them. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, that's so funny. Um, anyway, <laughs> he, he he goes on to tell to tell us how delicious the meal is that his that his wife makes for him, and it's very adorable. Uh, and then he said, "Love the show, and everyone keep safe." I'm very happy for you. That sounds delightful. Congratulations. <laughs> I love. Yeah, I, I do love that they took a moment to to tell us about it. That's yeah. great. He's like, "Oh shit! I took 90 milligrams of THC. I better confess my sins." oh yeah that's funny um yeah thank you all for sending in your good news and your uh your quarantine confessions they are wonderful uh you can submit them uh the form is the pinned tweet at daily beans pod on twitter and you can also find the form if you go to mullershirot.com slash contact and it's on the top right hand side of the page you will see um a link to the good news and quarantine confessions submission form so Keep sending them in. Yes, please. Just amazing. Thank you so much, everybody, um, for sending those in. <laughs> oh, Jordan. Doesn't your butt smell? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's God. so great. I, I feel like she should just call that out in the middle of, of shows just randomly just to keep everybody on their toes. Um, I think that'd be great. <laughs> the best thing, you know, what's the funniest thing about the show um, is that I, like something I, I love about the show, especially with the quarantine confessions and, and the funny bits at the end now. It's like you have this serious discussion about like, you know, life or death situations in this country and they're like wonderful and hard hitting and really informative. And then the, the show ends with Jordan talking about butts. <laughs> yeah. Oh. The, butt, the butt prologue and the butt, whatever uh, the opposite of a prologue is. I should know that. <laughs> e- epilogue? No. Epilogue. Epilogue. I think that's it. After, after log. After after log. <laughs> um, oh, it's it's going to be Friday when everyone hears this, right? So today is our uh, patron happy hour, huh? Yes, yes. That's at four Pacific today. If you're listening on Friday, so I'm mm-hmm. excited about that. Sweet. 
Yeah, and we'll tweet out the link uh, for the public. The first hour is for patrons only. If you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash the Daily Beans. And uh, we'll tweet out uh, the link on our Twitter at Daily Beans Pod for the second half of the of the live stream if you want to join us for that part. Yep. Sweet. Nice. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it's epilogue, by the way, the, the butts epilogue. <laughs> the butt, the butt Jordan. epilogue. <laughs> yeah, with Jordan, with Jordan Coburn. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here? Um, yeah, I just wanted to let you know to the person who submitted the good news about the uh, the teenager, I will hook you guys up. I will uh, introduce you all so that hopefully you can give her some advice on becoming a teenage activist. And I also wanted to say that I did some volunteering as a teenager and it was like some of my favorite memories of being politically engaged. So uh, if you are a teenager listening, you should think about it. That's my final thought there. Yeah, 100%. I remember me too being in high school and college um, during the first Gulf War. Uh, and then joining the Navy. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> everybody, it was, you know, it was the Navy under Clinton. It wasn't supposed to be dangerous. Different but, times. Um, <laughs> different times. Different times. Uh, anyway, yes, everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Mandy Reader. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.